As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music and lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for their fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Continental Extreme Contact DWS 06+. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be superchargers headlights and more ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance with over 122 million parts and ebay guaranteed fit your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back plus with prices that don't break the bank you can stay on your a-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to bring home that win Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's going on, everybody? John Middlecoff, 3 and Out Podcast. Brought to you by Colin Coward and his podcast network. Uh, Coming up, a couple things. Just finished watching the Thursday night game. Have a couple quick thoughts on the Texans. Also, Gruden, the Amari, some leftover things, and just some thoughts I have on John Gruden and the entire experiment. I I was wrong. I actually thought he'd be good. I expected the Raiders this entire offseason before Khalil Mack got traded to actually be pretty good, be competitive, might even be a sleeper playoff team. That's obviously long gone, and John Gruden is uh, taking the Raiders back to their good old roots, back to the team that... Didn't have a winning season for 14 seasons. Uh, And then I'll go over a bunch of games around the league and obviously always do the Middlecoff mailbag. If you want to get in, it's the last segment of the show. DM me in my Instagram, at John Middlecoff, and uh, I'll reply on the podcast. It's it's very easy. At John Middlecoff on Instagram, slide up in my DMs, and we'll get to that. I, I think I owe an apology because I constantly talk about how much the AFC sucks and how much better the NFC is, and that, that was my thought this offseason, thought early on in the season, but I think it's kind of shaping out that the NFC is a little top-heavy. I mean, the Rams are excellent. I think the Saints are really good, and the Vikings are good. Have a lot of questions on the Packers. The NFC East is kind of in shambles right now. Uh, the NFC North, you know, pretty up for grabs. Actually, it might be one of the better divisions in football, but when you look at the AFC, the AFC West, while the Bottom two teams, the Raiders and the Broncos, stink. The Chiefs are excellent, and the Chargers are really good. When you look at the AFC North, the, the, if the Ravens are one of your average teams, you're in pretty good shape. I still, I think the Bengals are really good, and the Steelers are the Steelers. They're going nowhere. I think they end up winning the division. The Patriots are the cream of the crop in the NFL. And the AFC South, a, a division that you, me, everyone makes fun of. It's you know, what we call in this business low-hanging fruit. It's the easy thing to do. But I also think that the narratives surrounding it are true. Uh, you just This season, in 2018, the NFC, or the, excuse me, the AFC South, the Texans started 0-3. The Titans, Mariota does not look good. The Jaguars' defense is kind of a shell of itself, uh, giving up multiple games of a lot of points where they were not doing that last year. And, and Bortles has been atrocious uh, of late. So, and then obviously the Colts just you know, are going to a gunfight with a dull knife most weeks beside Andrew Luck that is like a howitzer, you know, or a bazooka. But I'm watching the game tonight, and listen, the Dolphins stink. Their season's over. Now the Tannehill's hurt. They got no chance to make the playoffs. Uh, Fun little story while it lasted, but their defensive coordinator, classic meathead with the beard, you know, throwing his 
iPad or, you know, actually Microsoft would get mad. The Microsoft Surface, they, they pay a premium for that advertising on the ground. Like, like yo, bro, uh, tell your guys where to line up. Tell your guys not to blow these coverages. Coach, teach. You, you're being paid, you know, seven figures to be the defensive coordinator. Throwing your iPad on the ground doesn't do anything. Coach these guys up. Figure something out. You're running, you're letting DeAndre Hopkins, who Lewis Riddick deserves credit on this. I I remember when he was coming out, Lewis, uh, was, he works at ESPN. I worked with him for the Philadelphia Eagles. Loved Hopkins. I mean, absolutely loved him. I didn't really know who he was. Uh, I mean, obviously he was a prospect, but I, you know, at Clemson, I didn't realize he was this. He is incredible. I mean, what a dominant, dominant force. Another guy that I looked at like a stock, and I said, I would sell. I, people called me crazy, and I didn't think it was that crazy, though when I say it out loud, it kind of looks crazy now. I said last year, I would look to trade J.J. Watt. He still makes a lot of money. He's coming off multiple injuries. He looked like a shell of himself last year before he got injured. Uh, I, I never thought he'd be the same. I, I was wrong. I don't know if he went to Germany, did the blood spinning, whatever he did. He looks freaking fantastic. I know the hype on Khalil Mack looked like he was going to be the locked defensive player of the year. J.J. Watt is eight sacks and is dominant. I mean, in the first half, he had a sack. He had a tackle for loss, and he had a, you know, he had a pass breakup. I mean, he looks not quite old J.J. Watt, but the J.J. Watt, the, in my opinion, is probably in his prime. I, I Reggie White would, you know, probably be the best defensive lineman I've ever seen. J.J. Watt's not far behind. And if he keeps, you know, having games like this and racking up these sack numbers, he's going to be an all-pro and a pro bowler again. The one thing the Texans have, and I've always thought this, when I lived in Philadelphia, a guy I worked with, another scout, went to Penn State, we had we knew a guy on the staff, Charles London, who's actually the running back coach right now for the Bears, was Bill O'Brien's running back coach at Penn State. So we went down in the spring, it was the offseason, you know, it might have been it was probably before the draft, so it was kind of slow times in the office. We left on like a Friday and stayed at Penn State. Really cool, Happy Valley went out and partied. And then the next day we went to practice. And it was, you know, Bill O'Brien had got hired that year after the Super Bowl, so he'd been there like two months. And I remember going to a practice. They did not have very good players. That was when Matt McGloin was their quarterback. He actually wasn't even their starting quarterback. They were rotating guys. He ended up winning the job. But I, I just remember leaving that practice. The, the facility is really cool. And just thinking, damn, this guy's really, really impressive. A really good coach. Obviously, everyone knew him from the Super Bowl and the Patriots. And he, he was famous. But I, I just remember walking away thinking, this guy is a high-level guy. And then a couple years later, people forget, but when Chip Kelly got the job with Philly, they first offered the job to Bill O'Brien. And the next year, you know, he hadn't been at Penn State that long, goes to Houston. And I think he's kind of got a bad rap, like he's some meathead moron. I think Bill O'Brien's a big-time head coach. This is probably the most talented, this is definitely the most talented quarterback he's coached, you know, since leaving Brady they've ever had at, with Houston. And I did this a little bit. I thought the hype on Deshaun Watson was a little strong. I didn't think he was quite as good as he was last year. And I didn't think he was as bad as he was this year. It's I think we forget sometimes. And there's few things in life now that we just expect to come back faster. Like, it's my own fault. Wherever I go, and I do this in my home constantly because my home also uh, operates as my office so I depend on the Wi-Fi, and I think a lot of you guys can relate. The moment you go somewhere, and either you're working, or even if you're just screwing around on your computer, in 2018, if the Wi-Fi is slow, I mean, I will throw like a shoe through the wall. Nothing drives me, it creates more anger internally than slow Wi-Fi. And I, ultimately, as I just keep thinking like, God, Deshaun Watson... He's going to come back from this. But my point is that these ACL injuries, everyone just expects them to come back at rapid speed. Sometimes the Wi-Fi is slow. I mean, the, the internet's incredible. If I got to deal with slow Wi-Fi every once in a while, okay. Like If I got to deal with a couple bad games of Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson, I'll, I'll deal with it. And, and sometimes I, like everyone, have these crazy expectations of guys coming back from ACL injuries because once upon a time, Adrian Peterson, you know, came back after it felt like five months and he looked better than he had ever looked and it turns out that's not normal it's like whenever LeBron James comes down off like a fast break dunk and he rolls his ankle and you're like oh my god 
I think LeBron James' career's over. He just broke his ankle, and then like two minutes later, he's walking it off. Well, yeah, certain guys are just cyborgs. But Deshaun Watson, and I don't, he threw five touchdowns tonight. A couple of them were just joked. I mean, the Miami Dolphins defense should take a pay cut this weekend, like only accept half their paycheck. But if he's going to play solid, and their defense, especially their front with Clowney, who's just a monster. He gets banged up a lot, but God. I mean, talk about a freak show. And J.J.'s going to play like that? This team's now 5-3. and three. Obviously, they've won five straight games. I mean, it sure looks like. I, I just checked their schedule. It's pretty much, let me yank up the internet, a joke. Next week, they go to the Broncos. Then they play the Redskins. Okay, that's, I mean, let's say they w- win one, lose one. Now they're 6-4. and four. Listen to this stretch. Titans at home, Browns at home, Colts at home. Think about those three games. Titans at home, Browns at home, Colts at home. So if they split those two games where six and four, they'd now be nine and four. Then they got at Jets, at Philly, and then the Jaguars at home. Their schedule, they could easily go six and two. They really could. I mean, I don't think it's crazy that they get to 12 wins, but I think they're a borderline lock to get to 10 as long as Watson stays healthy. And I think we all need to do this. We, I make fun of the uh, the AFC South as much as anyone else. Uh, I laugh at the division, uh, but I, I think the Texans, are, they're not just coming. I mean, they're going to be a playoff factor. I mean, someone is going to, they're going to win that division, and someone, probably the Chargers, I, I guess potentially they could be the, they could be the three seed if the, you know, if the AFC North, you know, like Pittsburgh were to win that division at 9-6-1 and one or something. So the Chargers might play them. They, they would probably play, who knows, maybe the Bengals or whatever. But I guess my ultimate point is they could easily, all of a sudden you're looking up week that wild card weekend, you're like, damn, the Texans just won a game? The Texans are playing the Patriots in the second round at Foxborough? Now, obviously the Patriots own the Texans. But my point is, I, I don't think most people when they were 0-3 were like, God, is Bill O'Brien going to be the first coach fired? No. He's going to actually host a home playoff game because he's going to win double-digit games. And I don't think people should be that shocked because I'm telling you, I, I promise, I the just the natural reaction on Twitter when it comes to Bill O'Brien is he's just some butt-chinned, meathead idiot. He's not. I've seen him coach. He's good. And there's a reason his Texans teams, beside last year, when Deshaun Watson's ACL tour, you know, he wins. He, he consistently wins everywhere he go. And I, I, I don't think he's Belichick or Andy Reid or anything, but he's a, he's a damn good coach. And this team is pretty good. If they're going to get – they are led by three or four just blue chippers. And when you have a good coach and when you have elite talent and when you play in a shitty division, you're going to be a factor. Okay, before we get into Gruden, let me tell you about my friends at Robinhood. It's an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. It has a clear design with data presented in an easy-to-digest way. Here's the value of Robinhood. No cost, no commission fees. Other brokerages can, I mean, we've all made stock trades on the internet, can charge you up to $10 for every trade. But Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees. Trade stocks, and you get to keep the profits. The design, very easy to use, easy to understand charts and market data in a place to trade just four, in just four taps. But here's the thing. It's a web platform that also lets you view stock collections, things like the 100 most popular or sectors like entertainment or social media. Even get curated uh, categories and get really specific like female CEOs. Learn by doing. Learn how to invest as you build your own stock portfolio. Here's the key though. My listeners get a free stock like Apple, Ford, Sprint to help build the, your personal portfolio. So make sure you sign up at Middlecoff, M-I-D-D-L-E-K-A-U-F dot Robinhood.com. That's Middlecoff, M-I-D-D-L-E-K-A-U-F dot Robinhood.com right now. Uh, okay, something we talked a lot about earlier in the week was the Amari Cooper trade. And I, I've thought about it all week. I mean, it's one of the bigger trades to happen since, you know, Khalil Mack was traded. John Gruden's a big-time trader. But one piece of information, I, I might have touched on this on Tuesday. I, I don't really remember if I had even seen this. Maybe I had, that John Gruden didn't mention anything when Amari Cooper was yanked off the field to the team. They were practicing on Monday because of a bye week. 
coming off a of bye week. So then the players found out later when they went into the locker room and, and checked their phones. And he didn't mention it or say a word to the team until Wednesday. He kind of tongue-in-cheek slash, don't know if he was serious, claiming he didn't even know if the trade was official by then, even though Amari Cooper had practiced for Dallas. Again, he's just he's kind of being exposed as a little bit of a liar slash struggles with uh, keeping pace with what he's actually saying. But John Gruden had a knock once he got to Tampa as being somewhat of an a-hole, of being a coach players couldn't trust. Of I, I've seen and heard the word snake used, something that's used for Kevin Durant. And, you know, you take time away, you go work at ESPN. You know, a lot of coaches claim, and Chip Kelly's claimed this forever, you get introspective, you know, you look in the mirror, you improve at what you're not good at, but your personality doesn't change. And I think anyone can relate to this because we've all, in some sort, you know, form or fashion, had bosses we didn't really like. Now, if things are going really well, if you're going to be an asshole and just be tough to work for and drive an iron fist, well, if everyone's having success and we're all making money, like, I, it, have you ever read about Steve Jobs? He didn't look very fun to work for, but everyone was crushing it at Apple, you know? It, it, Nick Saban, you think he's fun to work for? Well, when you win championships every year, it's not that bad. But I can't imagine. Now, I've never worked for like a company that went bankrupt. But if you were working for a company, now I have worked for a company that was struggling and the boss was an imbecile, uh, wasn't necessarily, you know, like an a-hole like these guys, but it was hard to respect them every day because you start looking at the guy like a fraud. It's one thing, again, in whatever industry you are in, if you're having success. Remember when Bill Belichick, that second year, I think he started 0-2, and Tom Jackson Lee, Tom Jackson of ESPN back in the day said with Boomer that the locker room had quit on him. Then, ironically, the team turned around, won the Super Bowl, and I think they've won uh, after that year four since, and obviously went on to have a lot of success. But the knock on Belichick was... He ruled with an iron fist. Everyone hated him. No one trusted him. But the worst part was he didn't win. If you win, you can get a, you can get away with all that stuff. You think Parcells was fun? Hell no. You think it mattered? No, he won. But I think as you're seeing with Gruden, there are some snake characteristics, some fraudulent characteristics that if you're winning, now a lot of people would say it's really, really hard. Like frauds eventually get exposed in any business, especially you know, a high, high, highly competitive business like football. Like, you might be able to hide it for a year, but eventually you get exposed. Where Gruden hasn't really had the opportunity to be exposed since he kind of got exposed at Tampa for the last 10 years. Why? He has not been coaching. And now some of those things are starting to surface of, God, is he kind of a snake? Can we trust what he says? Because everything he says... He gets, after he sends Reggie McKenzie down to talk to the media, after Amari Cooper was traded, and Reggie went on all these tangents about, you know, I love the value, I had to do it, blah, blah, blah. Like, Reggie, the man on the moon knows you have no power or pull in this whole thing. John Gruden's running it. And then clearly, John went right up to his office and got on the phone or texted back Chris Mortensen and said, we are trading no more players. And then Wednesday, when he was asked, said, well, you know, I I don't think we're trading any more players, but things change. Is that really what I said? Yeah, John, that's what you said. I'm starting to see why all those players thought Gruden was kind of a fraud. Not because he doesn't know X's and O's and schemes. He can run spider two Y banana till the cows come home. And I'm just, you know, say that kind of jokingly. Like, I, I think he understands at a very high level NFL offense. But being a football coach is about so much more than that. Like people, everyone in the building has a huge amount of respect for Bill Belichick. His resume, you know, speaks for itself. But every player knows like, he's going to tell you like it, he sees it. And he knows everything about football. 
Like, there's half the players in Gruden's building that goes, John, you don't know anything about defense. John, you're not calling the special teams. Then there is also everyone in the building going, God, is this guy going to trade me? Like, when the defensive players walk into the Kansas City Chiefs building, they know Andy's not calling the defense or, you know, is going to worry necessarily about, like, specific schemes, specific play calls in a given game. So they could, you know, and this happens in any, you know, football organization, college pro, where the head coach typically is an offensive or defensive guy. So the other players know that that guy's spending more time with offense, especially when the head coach is an offensive coordinator on that given team. But if you carry yourself and respect these guys like humans, and again, I'm pro-trading players. I am pro-treating this like a business. But you're still dealing with humans. There has to be some human element to all this. It's why Andy Reid has had so much success for the last 20 years because there's a human element to him. It's clearly with Bill Belichick. I I don't even think Nick Saban gets enough credit for it. You see some of Bill Parcells' former players talk about the relationship they had with him, though it was tough. The thing with Gruden, I think that's... I've been floored. And again, we're so far removed to the last time he coached in the society we live in. And I am just as... uh, you know, uh, I'm as bad as this at anyone in terms of living in the moment, you know, not quite realizing what happened 10, 15, 20 years ago, whatever. I mean, it's just the the nature of the way we consume information. But I think this Gruden experience so far, giving him basically ultimate power, has brought into light like what a complete failure and how real, truly ugly it got at the end in Tampa Bay because you were hired because of three guys, Amari Cooper, Derek Carr, and Khalil Mack. Two are gone and one guy is getting worse. And I kind of think he could get traded in the next five or six days. So this Gruden experiment, he is a boss that treats people poorly and now has a resume of not having that much success, who's not really a personable guy. His players are clearly starting not to trust him. Like, again, you can act that way, but you better have a resume or have it, you know, somewhat develop personal relationships. Because I've said this all along. Whenever I see a story on, you know, the coach is just trying, he's reading a book about millennials. You don't get people. Like, I'm sorry. You know, Bill Belichick doesn't have to read a book about millennials. He just gets them. Greg Popovich doesn't have to read a book about millennials. He just gets people. Tom Coughlin, for as big of an old school, you know, kind of crusty SOB as he can be, just gets human beings. You didn't need to give Tom Coughlin a book on millennials, you know. And and I'm starting to think that Gruden was, we've forgotten really how bad it was in Tampa, but he's also not a great people person. And he's clearly not a good talent evaluator. Uh, I, I really think this dumpster fire in Oakland is worse than anyone ever could have imagined. Let's dive into a couple games that I'm actually really, really fired up for this weekend. Uh, Be be glad, be lucky, uh, and be grateful if you do not live in the Bay Area because you do not have to watch Cardinals-Niners combine two wins, Raiders-Colts combine three wins, but it feels like zero. Uh, now, at least there's Andrew Luck, but th- th- those games are terrible. Luckily for Red Zone, luckily for the NFL package, for Game Pass, uh, and you probably, if you're listening, may not live around here, you don't have to watch that crap. Well, l- let's dive in and look at some games that I can't wait to watch because there are actually several this weekend, just big games, interesting games, and games that are going to have huge ramifications you know, on the playoffs. Let's start with... The 6.30 matchup, and I I love this game. Again, West Coast time, 6.30 a.m., Philly-Jacksonville. Right now, Jacksonville is 3-4. They're in shambles. Blake Bortles is named the starter, but Doug Marone has said he will have a short leash. Philadelphia, also in shambles, 3-4. This game is not must-win for Philly, 
in the sense that the division is not that great, though, and we'll get into this game here in a second, the Redskins are playing the Giants. If the Redskins win, they'll be 5-2, and two, and if the Eagles were to lose in London, they'd be 3-5. and five. I mean, that's this isn't baseball. It's not easy to make up two or three games in half a season. You know, it, it, it's difficult. Now, it is possible when you play the team twice, the teams haven't played, so I, I wouldn't discount it. But this is a big game for both these two teams. One's the defending Super Bowl champs. The other was the defending AFC runner-up. But, I mean, they, they, they took, they gave the New England Patriots as good of a shot in Foxborough as I can remember in years. And I think we both, I mean, not we both, because there's only one person talking, but I would imagine most people listening just assumed, now I didn't think the Eagles were going to repeat, you know, but if you told me Carson Wentz would come back very early in the season, they'd have some injuries, but they did last year. I'd say, yeah, they'd find a way to get 10-6 and six in the playoffs. Same with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, they're not going to be as good as, I know Colin loves to crush the Saxonville, but their, their roster was so damn good. If Blake just is solid, they'd win 9-10 games and be right in the mix again. Well, there's a chance neither of these teams make it to 8-8. Eight eight. It really is pretty wild. You know, I think the Eagles will right the ship. I think the Eagles will win this game uh, and then have a chance. Because as long as you're 500 at the halfway point, well, if you go five or six wins in the second half and you won four games, that's 9-7, and 10-6, and six, and you are, you are heading into the middle of December with a chance to make the playoffs. You might not, but you usually control your own destiny in that scenario. If you're three and five, if you are three and five at the halfway point, I mean, f- five and three is not getting it done the second half. Even though it, most teams in the league, besides like the Patriots, take a you know half the season going five and three. That's a ten and six pace. Well, the problem is that that equals five hundred if you start three and five. I didn't go to Harvard, but it's pretty basic math. You basically to to make the playoffs starting 3 and 5 you probably got to go 7 and 1 in the second half maybe 6 and 2 does it but how many teams start 3 and 5 then go 6 and 2 you know they don't have like i'm not counting you know a Jimmy Garoppolo type you know trade just a team that's not going to make a major trade or a major move at quarterback so i it's not must win for Philly it is must win for Jacksonville cuz to me Jacksonville loses this game it's over and I know Blake's stats, you know, across the pond are, are pretty awesome. Uh, I'm pretty. Fa- I might actually set my alarm, maybe for halftime of this game. You know, I, I'm not a big 6:30 Sunday guy, but yeah, I might roll out of bed around eight. You know, check out. Hopefully, it's a good game. Check out the second half. Uh, Redskin Giants is interesting, just because like, are, are the Giants really just quitting? They just traded snacks for a fifth rounder. Uh, that's that's really the way to tank in the NFL is by trading players. Eli Shotty's terrible. It's going to be, as long as Eli is your quarterback, it's going to be very difficult to win the, win a game. Obviously, they're not winning the division. But the Redskins can have complete control of the division, whether Philly wins or loses. Like, they, they start 5-2. and two, They're in really, really good shape. Their defense is solid. Give Alex, you know, some credit here. He, he just finds a way to win. Now, he's played on some really good teams the last six years, those last couple years in San Francisco, and then the last five in Kansas City. This Washington team is probably the worst of them all, but they're not bad. I mean, they got, they've drafted a lot of pretty good players the last several years. Chris Thompson is a difference maker. Uh, their, their defensive personnel, in the, especially the front four, is really good. I, 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 like, I like Washington pretty big in this game. Uh, Another game that's very, very fascinating because my, my theory when the season started was this guy was going to be the next head coach at USC. And then they started hot and they looked really good and they looked like a lock to make the playoffs. Now they've lost a couple tight games these last couple weeks and I'm not so sure. Uh, last week was really, really devastating for the Ravens when Justin Tucker, who's you know arguably one of the best kickers I've ever seen, who's probably one of the top five player on their team, which is crazy to say because he's a kicker, but if you just tell me, like, Justin Tucker has a kick to win the game, I, you know, you just he's going to make it. You know, it's like Tiger Woods in his prime has a putt to win the Masters. You're like, yeah, he's going to make it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, and he missed. Now, they still might have lost. They might have lost in overtime. Hell, they might have lost that game in regulation. 
But that that's the difference with them being five and two right now and four and three. And the problem with being four and three is now they're going on the road to Carolina, which has pulled some games kind of out of their butt. You know, I, I don't think they're quite, you know, a normal four and two team. Like I don't view them as a twelve win team. But they do have a long history of making the playoffs every year. Ron Rivera almost feels like one of the most underrated coaches in the NFL. Give Cam credit. He's kind of adapted his style, working with Norv Turner. Christian McCaffrey's gotten a lot better. But if you're the Ravens and you start and you lose this game and you're 4-4, four and four, like I, I don't think you're making the playoffs. And I think we can start the countdown of, like, is John Harbaugh going to get fired if they go 8-8 eight and eight and miss the playoffs? Because I, I know this. The Pittsburgh Steelers are going to end up with nine wins. They obviously have the tie, so that that tie of not having a win there might be the difference between ten, not having double digit wins. But they're going to end up at nine, at minimum. They still might have, end up, you know, ten five and one, but th- they're going to win nine. So eight and eight is not. I don't know how the the wild card standings will play out because there's probably eight and eight might win the South. Uh, the Chargers are going to get a wild card spot. There might not be an you know an eight and eight team in the NFC East. So eight wins or, or excuse me nine wins, eight wins could compete for a wild card spot depending on how the tire breaker works. If you're the Ravens, but for the most part, it's very very unlikely that eight and eight would get you that second wild card spot. So you would miss the playoffs and get fired. And if you're four and four, they would be in shambles because they'd have some terrible losses. They, they would have some really, really bad losses. So I I think this borderline must win for uh, the Baltimore Ravens. The, the Carolina Panthers were coming back last week to, to win in Philly, have somewhat of a buffer now. Uh, I, I think they're going to end up in the playoffs, which is not really breaking news here. But I, I think the pressure in this game on the road is, is on the Baltimore Ravens. And, I you know, the biggest game, best game of the week is New Orleans at Minnesota – a uh, rematch of that divisional round last year. What a great game. Uh, I said it from the beginning. I, I knew when they had lost back-to-back games, I guess they had tied and then they lost to when they played the Rams on Sunday night football, or excuse me, Thursday night football, that I did not think the, and they were getting crushed. People oh, Minnesota's overrated. I'm like, Minnesota's going to be fine. Well, what have they done? They've rattled off a bunch of, they've rattled off three straight. Now they're 4-2-1. They beat the Saints. They'd be, you know, obviously 5-2-1, and one, and we'd be like, God, can Minnesota, I mean, win the NFC? I got news for you. They can. They got a big-time coach. Their quarterback's solid. They got a big-time offensive coordinator. This is a huge test for New Orleans. Uh, I, I, New Orleans is a lead on offense. They, they, they really are. They can do it all. Defensively, they've gotten better. They just traded for Eli Apple from the Giants. They just need a corner depth. But uh, I like Minnesota in this game. I like Minnesota to get right back in the mix for a home field buy. I mean, I, I, I just view them as a, you know, a 11, 12 win team. And this is a, this is a huge game. Now the revenge factor for the saints losing that game. I, I don't think it necessarily matters with Kirk cousins. Now there, I, I don't know. I mean, that'll be played up so much on Sunday night football, but I, I just think there's a lot on the line in this game in terms of home field buys the seeding, you know, I mean, I, I think Minnesota is a borderline lock uh, when it's all said and done and the dust settles to win that division in terms of the NFC North. Uh, I, I Listen, I just kind of crush Carolina uh, when I say crush. Like, I, I, I think they're a tad bit overrated. Uh, they've had some crazy comeback wins. And, you know, when, when, you, when you live by getting down earlier in, in games and then come storming back, like, Eventually, your luck's bound to run out. Uh, but I do view Carolina like a playoff team. So the Saints, you know, you probably got to win 12 games to lock to win the South. 11 might do it. But there, there's a chance if you win 11 games, Carolina might win 11 games. Like Minnesota, if you win 11 games, ain't no one else win 11 games that division. I, hell, I don't even think the Packers are making the playoffs. But I, I am very excited for this Sunday night game. It, it's been, this is... I wouldn't say it's quite New England, Kansas City, but this is probably a top three or four matchup that you could make if you just were, you know, playing fantasy football matchup. So very excited for Minnesota, New Orleans. Okay, before we get into the mailbag, the Middlecoff mailbag, sponsored by at John Middlecoff's Instagram, you slide right in the DMs and I'll answer the question. 
Let me tell you really quick about my friends at LinkedIn. And right now, I, I know a lot of people listening, you guys run businesses, own businesses, are work at businesses, and, and you're involved in the hiring of people. We all know, I've done it before, in multiple different businesses, attempted to hire people. It's really difficult. Arguably the hardest part about building from a sports team to a business is finding the employees, the talent. It's, it's difficult. But there's not an easier place to find that talent and future employees than LinkedIn. It's the world's largest professional network. People go to LinkedIn every day to grow professionally and discover job opportunities. 70% of the U.S. workforce, 70% is already there, already on LinkedIn. So the right people are not spending time on job boards, but they are 9 out of 10 people on LinkedIn are open to new job opportunities. So reach out to them on LinkedIn. So hurry to LinkedIn.com slash J-O-H-N and get $50 off your first job post. That's LinkedIn.com slash John, J-O-H-N, to get $50 off your first job post. LinkedIn.com slash John. Let's get into my favorite segment of the week, Middlecoff Mailbag. I answer questions from Instagram. Go to at John Middlecoff on Instagram. Slide up in them DMs and I'll answer them. First one I see, opinion on Iron Eagle. Listen, anything's fair game also on the DMs. Like, I like this one. Opinion on Iron Eagle. Where does he rank in your commentator power rankings? Uh, I think he'd be right up there. My only problem, off the top of my head, he does games with Dan Fouts. I think Dan Fouts is beyond terrible. Like, he, they need to yank him off the broadcast. He should no longer be doing it. Obviously, a legend an NFL staple for a long time, but but his time is up. To me, Ian is is really good. I think they're in the NFL, you know, from play-by-play standpoint, Al's the cream of the crop. Joe Buck is excellent. Nance is, I, I, Nance is really good. I just, sometimes, I'm a golf guy. He, he I, I like a little more energy. You know, I, I don't need Kevin Harlan on, on basketball, but I, I think Joe Buck is the best play-by-play. What makes Joe Buck so incredible is that Joe can call a baseball game, which is much slower pace, and be elite at it, and then call a football game and be excellent. And I'm not saying Jim Nance is obviously an all-time great broadcaster, but he's a little more monotone for my liking. Now, Tony's helping him out a lot this year. But, but my biggest issue with Iron Eagle is, the moment Dan Fouts is doing a game, and I occasionally get that crew living in the Bay Area uh, because they end up on like you know a random Raider, you know Raiders against the Chargers. It's just a tough listen for Fouts, not not Ian Eagle, who again I I, I really like. So he'd he'd be uh, he'd be near the top. He'd definitely be near the top. Okay, uh, John, love the podcast with all the Patriots draft equity equity. I think they got like three three. You know, one first rounder in two seconds. So it's not that much equity. But, I mean, I see what you're saying. Do you see them drafting Brady's replacement or trading down and stockpiling picks as usual? You know, you never know with Belichick. The problem with assuming he's going to draft the replacement is they always draft so late in the first round. So even if you got multiple first round or second round picks to trade up, like how high are you really getting? You can never discount anything with Belichick. Uh... I don't necessarily think that he's worried about like five years from now, even though he's a big picture guy. Not that he's living in the moment, because that's not really the way he's wired. He is a bit. I'm not clearly he's a big picture guy, but when it comes to Tom Brady, because it, you could say borderline the risk they took this year, uh, you know, for a team that's had an incredible backup plan the last four, they invested Jimmy Garoppolo's the highest draft pick he's ever used on a quarterback in New England. Now, it's a little skewed because, you know, once they drafted Brady in the sixth round and he became the starter, I mean, they had a young starting quarterback for the next 15 years. And then, obviously, they had to draft the one when Brady got older. So, when you have a, you know, the best starting quarterback or one of them in the league, you're not going to be drafting quarterbacks that high because you're trying to win Super Bowls. You know, I mean, check out how many uh, second-round quarterbacks was Bill Polian drafting when Peyton Manning was on the team. But ultimately, the point stands is eventually he's probably going to have to draft one. Maybe it's this year. I don't know if he's really that consumed with it, just in the sense that, 
I mean, he he rolled into the season and he's played all year long. Brian Hoyer is his backup. Now, Belichick's good enough. Like, they could win a game with Brian Hoyer, but they could not win a big game. Like, they couldn't beat the Chiefs. Uh, they couldn't beat the Chargers. They couldn't beat, you know, the Steelers or a team like, hell, the Texans with Brian Hoyer. Maybe the Texans with Brian Hoyer as their starting quarterback in a playoff game. Uh, and some Patriot fans will be like, what are you talking about? We own the Steelers. Yeah, I mean, Brady, <laughs> you got to have Brady. If Brian Hoyer, I, I know this, I, I would bet my entire life savings, which isn't that much money, but they could not 100% everything I own, condo, money, car, you name it, that they could not win the Super Bowl without Hoyer. And that's what, to me, made them so, or could not win the Super Bowl with Hoyer as a starting quarterback. And I said two years ago, and even when they got Jimmy Garoppolo, the Niners that being, that what made the Patriots so unique is they were the only team in the league who that if their starter got hurt, that they would still be my pick to win the Super Bowl. Like, they would have been my pick if Brady would have gone down based on what I had seen out of Jimmy Garoppolo in those couple games the year previously, that I I think they would have won the Super Bowl, or easily could have, you know, last year if Tom had got, if they had not traded him and Tom had gotten hurt. But the thing is, Tom's... 41, and he looks like he's 30, and TB12, and avocado ice cream, and he doesn't skip a beat. Hey, John, big fan of the podcast. As a Titans fan, what should the Titans do? Mariota, I believe, could win. He's just not vocal enough, and then he gets sacked 11 times in a game. That's a lot. So what do you think is the biggest problem in Tennessee? Well, I, I think it starts with Mariota's health. He hasn't been healthy, so then he can't ever get into rhythm. He's in and out you know, just of the lineup. He's had some weird injuries. They haven't done a great job. Now, they've tried. It just has backfired. I mean, their best offensive weapon in the passing game was Delaney Walker. He got hurt. They drafted Corey Davis really high. He hasn't really become a star. I mean, when you take a guy number five overall, I saw it several years ago when the Raiders took Amari fourth. Like, you expect him to be really good. Not Amari <laughs> got crappy the last couple of years, but his first two years, I mean, he was a really, really, he was a pro bowler. And Corey Davis is not. So there are offensive weapons outside. And I, I think back to Mariota, like their biggest problem is if Mariota is not like a legit star, that's just an issue. When you draft a guy number two overall, he's got to be really good. It's, it's really kind of crazy now looking back uh, how that quarterback class has played out. I mean, him and Jameis... It looked like Mariota was going to be a star. Then it looked like Jameis had kind of gotten it together. And Jameis, it turns out, is just kind of a slap. And Mariota is one of the nicest guys in the, the NFL. It just turns out he's, his talent is a little limited. But I, I do think their defense is really good. I like their head coach. LaFleur is highly thought of in NBA. Or, I mean, I said NBA. I've got the uh, inside the NBA after the Laker game on TV in the background. In the NFL, but, so the the offensive system is what Shanahan, McVay, old school, the J. Gruden runs a little bit what John does. So I, you know, it's just it's on Mariota. I mean, he's got you draft a guy number two overall. He's got to be like right now. I couldn't give Mariota a hundred million dollars. You know, I, I know that I'm not saying he's asking for a hundred million dollars, but you know, usually when we think quarterbacks, we just think they're going to get paid humongous money. I, I I don't look at Mariota like a max quarterback right now. Okay. Hey, John, started listening to your podcast three and out a few weeks ago. Have enjoyed. Appreciate it. Thanks. For, uh, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Uh, if Jason Garrett gets canned this year, could a replacement for him that would fit Jerry Jones' needs and keep the Cowboys in the spotlight potentially be less miles? These are the type questions I love. Uh, I'm an LSU fan through and through and remember what Les brought to the table. Of course, he would need a good OC. Yeah, big time. I thought about this yesterday and just thought on it and it made sense. Am I crazy or could that ever work? I'd have to Google Les Miles' career. I'm pretty sure he's never coached in the NFL. He was obviously a coach at Oklahoma State and then went from there to LSU. He won a national championship, produced so many pros. I I do think he would be the type coach. Again, he would be very, very dependent on a coaching staff, (laughs) you know. Now, Jerry would give him an unlimited money to get a top D.C. Hell, they could just keep Marinelli and the defensive coaching staff there. He could go hire a big-time offensive coordinator, you know, like a a McVay type, a Kyle Shanahan type. I mean, that's 
that's kind of lazy, isn't it? Just to be like a McVeigh type. Like they're just like growing on trees. But you know what I mean. Like an up and coming young OC to go with them. Someone that has a modern day, you know, concepts and ideas when it comes to football. I don't think it's nuts. The problem would be if you're Jerry. And this is why ultimately I don't think Jason's going to get canned is because when you're, what's Jerry, 78, 80 years old, 75, between 75 and 80, I have to look up his exact age, but he doesn't have that many years on, left on the earth. Like, is listen, I'm not trying to be morbid or anything, but is Jerry Jones living 10 more years? That's a pretty big risk. Now, Jerry is a risk taker. I know Coward always talks about that, and he's done, he's done a lot of risky moves in the past. But I don't think in 2000, you know, it'd be 19 at Jerry's age, he can afford to take a swing. Though, I do agree with you that it's not like that nuts. And it probably wouldn't, if he hired the right coaching staff, crazy as it sounds, it wouldn't be that different probably than Jason Garrett. The problem, less his biggest issue would be, is this is his lack of knowledge of the league. And I, I don't think people quite understand that. That transition you make, like for a college coach to go to the NFL, you know, like Bill Belichick's been in the league for 45 years. He knows every player in the NFL, literally every single one. Their strengths, weaknesses, what college they're from. Andy Reid's been a head coach in this league for 20 years. Tom Coughlin's been coaching this league for 45 years, or 40 years, however long. Coughlin actually was in college a little bit, so maybe 30 years. Like they know every player. Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, these guys have been coaching in the league for 10 years. The majority of players in the league, they know. They have experience coaching against. Pete Carroll has now been in the league for like 10 years. And then he was recruiting all the top guys. So you're just background of the guys. Like Les has now been out of college for a couple years. Not, I know he still watches it and does stuff on television, but that transition's pretty hard. Like That was a problem for Chip Kelly, just his true knowledge on all the personnel. And I think ultimately if Jerry is going to make a change, you never know because he does have just some gambling instincts. He's not afraid to roll the dice, but I think he would kind of get crushed for that move. And I do think the perception of it would matter. Again, I think it's like less than 25% chance that Jason gets fired. But if he did, I think he would hire an NFL guy. He would try to limit his risk, you know, because his only goal at his age now, he's made more money than God. I know he still likes making deals, but is I, I, everyone says they want to win the Super Bowl. The, the key in the NFL is just make the playoffs. If you have a playoff team, I mean, shit, anything can happen. It just to win a game or two, and then boom, you're in the Super Bowl. That's the key. Just can you make the playoffs? That's why Andy Reid is so valuable. He's made the playoffs like 15 times out of his 20-year career. You know, Belichick is such an outlier, a guy that wins all these Super Bowls. What makes Tom... Tom uh, Mike Tomlin so great is he's always in the playoffs. Just make the playoffs, and your owner's going to be pretty happy. Hell, look at Marvin Lewis. And that's Jason Garrett's big knock. Like, is a guy a playoff coach? Can he get us consistently to the playoffs? He made it a couple times, but can he get there? Less miles. The more I think about it, like, would he get the Cowboys to the playoffs? I think he could make them competitive, but that's what they, they, they need a coach that has playoff upside. So whether that's a young guy like John D. Filippo or Jim Bob Cooter, whether that be like the Ravens miss the playoffs and John Harbaugh becomes available, something like that. But I, I, I'd be shocked. I've thought about this a lot because a lot of you guys asked me about it. Clearly a lot of Cowboy fans. I, I First off, again, I don't think Jason Garrett's going anywhere. But if he does, I, I think Jerry would make a pretty conventional hire. You know, hire the top OC or hire a retread in the sense of a big name retread because... You know, if the Steelers were to miss the playoffs or the Ravens were to miss the playoffs, I, I think one of those two coaches probably be available. So, if you know, I love all these up-and-coming OCs, and John is my guy, but if I was an owner, especially Jerry, like, it would be hard to pass up on Tomlin or John Harbaugh if they become became, you know, on the open market. And you're telling me those guys are going to pass up the Cowboy job? Uh, John, thanks for always keeping it real. No problem. I've noticed the first-round selections are usually defensive players. And in a recent article on The Athletic, where they created a top 32 draft board, 24 of the 32 players were listed as defensive players. 17 of the 32 were defensive linemen. Why is that exactly? Is that because it's becoming more challenging to find talent on the defensive side of the ball? I, I just think it's 
this individual class. It's kind of weird in a spread offense, and college has been so spread the last four or five years, there haven't been that many elite wide receiver prospects. Like, where are the Julio Jones? Where are the A.J. Greens? Where are the Odell Beckhams? It's kind of been a missing piece the last couple of years. There haven't been that many sweet college wide receiver prospects the last two years. There's also, from what I heard talking to a buddy in the league, there's it's not a great running back crop. And then clearly, look at the quarterbacks. Five quarterbacks went last year in the first round. The previous year, three. So you, you just don't keep up that pace. I mean, the college doesn't pump out that many quarterbacks. So you're going to take a step back there. The offensive linemen the last couple of years have been hit or miss. The pass rushing class is excellent. Uh, that that's People around the league have known that now for a couple of years. Of all the freshmen two years ago, the highly recruited guys. And a lot of times, the top recruits, you know, on in a given year, a lot of them are going to be defensive players. Blue chip defensive linemen, blue chip corners, blue chip linebackers. But a lot of them don't become great players. It just happened that all these guys at, at Michigan, uh, the Gary kid, the dudes at Alabama, the dudes at Clemson, like those guys were blue chip guys. And then they became star players. Oliver at Houston. You know, it's just all these top recruits maintain their stardom. There was like three or four clownies. I'm not saying these guys would be as good as clowny in the pros, but they were heralded like that level and then they just dominated all through their college career. So it just kind of worked out that way. And I I don't I think it's somewhat cyclical. I think it's a little random. You know, it wouldn't shock me next year there'll be several guys. I, I know the wide receiver people keep texting me about Purdue. The dude at Colorado is awesome. There are gonna be several call I mean that I don't know what year I have to check out Bama's roster, but they got a couple wide receivers every time I watch their game that are just hauling ass all over the place. Like their version of Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. So I, I think, again, cyclical, bounces back. Next year, we could have multiple offensive linemen, five wide receivers, and a couple running backs, you know, and a couple tight ends go in the first round. I, I don't think uh, there's any necessarily rhyme or reason to it. It just kind of changes year in, year out. But I do think the impact of all these quarterbacks, and if you look two years ago, Mahomes came out early, Trubisky came out early, and Watson was a senior. So two of the three guys came out early. Last year, Baker, senior, Rosen, Darnold, early entries, Josh Allen, early entry, Lamar Jackson, early entry. So you just get a bunch of guys leaving early. You know, sometimes quarterback is a unique position where guys return. You know, guys stay all three or four, you know, four years, five years. It's not, I mean, Baker Mayfield went to school for five years. You know, he, he used up all of his eligibility. Uh, okay. What percentage of the New York Giants offensive woes are squarely on the shoulders of Eli Manning? Can he still perform given his given adequate protection? Uh, without like really, really studying and charting the tape, I, I'd say about 65-70% is on Eli and then the rest is on the offensive line. I do think when you watch the NFL, this notion that their offensive line stinks is fair, but a lot of offensive lines aren't that good. You either have to get rid of the football quickly or be able to move. Like, I'm watching the game tonight. Deshaun Watson is moving around. There's not, you know, Anthony Munoz and Larry Allen aren't exactly blocking for him. But if you can just keep plays alive with your legs, think of a lot of the young quarterbacks in this league. You don't have to be, you know, Lamar Jackson as an athlete. But if you're Sam Darnold, you know, Josh Allen, Carson Wentz, Josh Allen's a bad example because he stinks, Russell Wilson, Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, Mitch Trubisky, Dak, these guys can all move. Hell, Kirk Cousins is not a stiff. You know, you have to be able to move a little bit. Most guys blocking for you are going to be flawed. So I think the biggest problem is just in 2018, Eli's lack of mobility is just a statue back there. And he's always been kind of a hit or miss quarterback, even in his prime. I mean, let's call it what it is. I his second Super Bowl, I, I was working in the NFC East. I mean, I saw him twice a year and saw him on cross tape and just was around the NFC East. Like, he was a good player and would have really good moments. He just got really hot there at the end of the season. He he was never, like, picking teams apart for 16 weeks like he's Phillip Rivers or, you know, Drew Brees. That's not his deal. Now that that's even gotten worse and he's less mobile than he's ever been and he's never been really able to move, He's just kind of a sitting duck back there, which is kind of crazy because if you would have given him some of these weapons, like Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham on some of their better teams, 
Like, think how nasty. I mean, imagine if you put Odell Beckham on, like, one of those championship teams. Instead of going 9-7, and seven, they're probably 11- or 12-win team and just really dynamic. Because the one thing Eli used to do really well is throw a great deep ball. You saw that a couple times in, in the Super Bowls and just his playoff run. I mean, he had a strong arm. I've always been an Eli guy. Uh, it's sad to watch him kind of go out like this. But let's call it what it is. The, the Mannings, him and his brother, and obviously Eli's a, you know, not even half the player of his brother. And that's not a shot at Eli. It's more of a compliment to Peyton. But both the Mannings have not exactly left the game gracefully. You know, it's been pretty ugly. They've, they've kind of had to be dragged off the field. Now, Peyton was dragged to a Super Bowl. But listen, I had a front row seat for that. I watched that. I went to the Super Bowl, and I also watched their team play against the Raiders earlier in the season. It wasn't because of Peyton. I promise you that. And, I, and I'm and i a Peyton Manning guy, but it, it's been an ugly uh, divorce for both of them from the sport. Hey, John, Matt from Australia. I was wondering, is the Chiefs defense's defense getting unfairly criticized because they always playing prevent D? Because, yeah, good point. Since the offense is scoring so early and often. The same issue happened with the Falcons in 2016. Uh, may, maybe a little. I, I actually think they've played better. I know Sorensen's coming back this week. I think D Ford has looked good when he's just been able to tee off. Eventually, if Justin Houston get back on the field and, you know, keep our fingers crossed just because he's one of the higher character guys in the league, Eric Berry could ever come back. Uh, I, 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 where I think they're unfairly criticized and we talk about them in, in the wrong vein is that you don't need the 85 Bears defense to win anymore. The rules have just dramatically changed. Now, this year is going to be a good litmus test in the playoffs, how much defense matters, but I don't think you definitely don't need This ain't 10 years ago. You know, it definitely is not 20 years ago in the 90s when you needed really good defenses or in the history of football. I, I, I do think potentially, and we're, we're going to find out this year because the, there's the, I think the, the Rams defense is a tad bit overrated. I'm not putting the Chiefs in that same level, but if the Chiefs can make a run with their defense, the Patriots' defense has never been good, and they've always kind of overcome. The Steelers' defense is not great. There are going to be a lot of potential playoff teams that have very, very shoddy defenses. Uh, but I, I, I'm interested to watch the Chiefs. And again, someone asked me the other day, and I responded to him on Instagram, I think a successful Chiefs season would be winning the division and just winning a playoff game. So for them, because they're going to have a first-round bye more than likely – if you host a home playoff game and you play the Chargers, you play the Texans, you play the Bengals, you play whoever, and you get a win, which would be their first win, I think, since like Montana, and then you lose to the Patriots or lose to whoever in the AFC Championship game, I think that would be a successful season when your quarterback's 22 years old. Now, it's not going to be easy in the moment. It would be ugly and people would freak, but I, I think that it's already been, I mean, a raving success. I mean, to me, one of the biggest question marks in the league is like, what would Mahomes look like? Well, the jury's in. Mahomes is sweet. You know, the Chiefs the Chiefs hit a home run on that. But to me, they don't have to win the Super Bowl to, like, validate this move. It's already been a success. They make it to the playoffs. But I do think, you know, Andy needs a playoff win. But Mahomes doesn't necessarily. But it would be pretty devastating if you won 12, 13 games and lost. But I, I, I feel pretty confident with this team, if they can stay healthy, their core guys on offense – that they could win a home playoff game. Appreciate everyone listening. Uh, every Tuesday, we're going every Friday. I'm going to keep them coming. Three and out podcast, John Middlecock. Enjoy the weekend, fellas. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary.
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. 